0: Amen. Um, yeah, once again, talking uh, to an empty uh, room, which is, uh, if I'm honest, what I can often feel uh, is my life, just me having conversations with myself. But there actually is one couple from Creve Hall who did not get the memo, Brad and Jen Butcher and their family. They live way outside of town. They, they are here. And uh, so anyways, uh, yeah, welcome all of Midtown. Um, I guess uh, this is in some ways what you're stuck with because Creve Hall is up first uh, on Sunday mornings, but uh going to trust that this is what the Lord has uh, for all of us this morning as we dive in uh, to 1 Thessalonians. Um, so yeah, be careful out there. It is slick, uh, so hopefully we'll get uh, a ton of snow uh, over uh, the overnight and the kids will have a blast tomorrow, but we're in. Uh, this new series in 1st Thessalonians, uh, it's a letter that Paul wrote to the church of, of Thessalonica, and it's really a letter about having uh, joy and a heart of joy amidst a season of extended difficulty, because this was a church that was experiencing difficulty. Um, this is a young church that he planted, um, and it's full of converts, uh, people who had converted from Judaism. Uh, it's got it's got God-fearing Gentile people in it. Uh, it says there in first Thessalonians one, some some prominent women. And Paul had this habit of going to these key cities and 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 Thessalonica was a key city in the area of Macedonia. It was, um, you know, kind of famously known as narrowly narrowly escaping being the capital of the world. So it was this really important influential city. And he had gone and planted this church there and had, had to actually leave. Um, he was moving on, I believe to Corinth from here. Uh, and he was getting letter back and, and, and correspondence back from Timothy and Silas. These guys had traveled to see him and they were really encouraging him about what was going on in this young church. Uh, that it was a church that they were, they were working out of a place of their faith. They were laboring out of a place of love that they were enduring uh, because of the hope of the gospel. Uh, and so he was really pumped about what was going on in this church, but he also uh, knew something else from Timothy and Silas, and that was this: that the church uh, was suffering some really serious affliction at the hands of, especially these Jewish leaders, uh, because the Jews that had converted to Christianity they were jealous and they were concerned about the momentum of this of this church. They were losing power uh, and control. And so uh, they, were, they were stirring up literally riots. They had thrown the entire city uh, into a place of turmoil as a result of the resistance they were trying to create because of what was going on uh, in this group of Christians. And so uh, this is kind of where uh, we, we step in. I'm going to ask Janie uh, to go ahead and read the passage for us this morning. This is 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 1 to 8.
1: You know, brothers and sisters that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God, who tests our hearts. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well the word of the lord
0: all right so um paul knows something right because remember he's fighting that uh this church would continue to have this joyous heart in the middle of extended difficulty and he's fighting um that the gospel that has gained such a uh, profound ground in their lives and in their community uh would not be snuffed out and um he knows something, because he's experienced this and he, he will experience it again, that, uh, that joy leaks, <laughs> it leaks out of us when, when the boat of our life is getting holes poked in it. And there are a lot of people who are trying to poke holes in the boat of the Thessalonican church. Um, so the three things I want us to kind of look at out of this passage about that process, uh, you can kind of put them in these headers. I'm going to talk about the courtroom I'm going to talk about uh, the testimony, and then lastly, I'm going to talk about uh, this this thing called a mother's love, all right? The courtroom, the testimony, and then a mother's love. So, the courtroom. Um, This is really good practice regardless, not just for this morning, just when you read the Bible. When you read something, to just pause for a second and ask this question, I wonder why Paul is saying this right now. Like, he's, he's writing a letter, and we write letters, we're trying to actually influence or inform people, right? So, like, why is he saying what he's saying right now at this moment in the letter? Um, and I think why he's saying this, the way that he's saying it, when he's saying it, is this. Is that the resistance to the gospel, this movement of gospel transformation that was happening in the church of Thessalonica, uh, and the impact uh, that it was having... The resistance to that uh, is taking on a certain form, and Paul is speaking to that. And the form that that resistance is taking on is this. It's called the court of public opinion, right? The Jewish people uh, who who were jealous, they had incited these riots. uh, They were trying to get the court of public opinion to turn against all of these young Christians in Thessalonica. And how they were trying to do that was this. They were trying to undermine Paul's integrity. They were trying, the Jewish leaders were trying to destroy his credibility, and they believed this, that if I can destroy Paul's credibility, the guy who planted this church, if I can destroy his credibility, I can destroy his message. I can destroy the gospel, right? I remember uh, this is, I mean, you've seen this in many films, uh, Braveheart. Uh, I can't remember who was the king at the time, uh, the really gravelly-voiced, crotchety guy. But he said, you know, you strike the shepherd and the sheep will disperse, right? It's that idea, that tactic. And that tactic is still uh, what we do today, uh, even in in real courtrooms, when you have somebody on the witness stand, right? Right? You know that even if the witness has something true to tell, you know, they've got a, a... a, a truth that actually could make a case against what you want to have happen, which is what the Jews were fighting against. That if If a witness has a truth to tell, then what you try to do is, is you try to dig something up that makes that witness seem not credible. And if I can do that, I can actually try to keep that truth from landing because the credibility of the witness is challenged, right? If I can make them appear not credible, then I can get them thrown out. Even if what they have to say is the truth, if I make them not credible, that will make the message untrue. And what was going on with these Jewish leaders is they were saying that Paul had fled, Paul had abandoned them. And they were saying that, that the motivations wise is basically that Paul doesn't really care about you guys. Things got tough Paul checked out, and the reality was, is he was just here because he was greedy. He was just here because he was seeking fame. Uh, He was here for the easy pit stop, but he's not going to stick around for when things get hard. He's abandoned you, and he's fled. He doesn't care about you. They were trying to dig at his integrity and his character to make his message untrue. And I I could give us a, a million examples of this. I don't think you probably are imagining some in your own mind right now. Think of how many influential leaders we've seen even in the last, you know, two years, but in history that have had their character challenged or their character exposed, or maybe their character really was rotten. And the effect of that, right, on their followers or on their message. That the court of public opinion really in many ways is the most powerful court. I mean, we live, uh, I, I had to look up after a while because everybody kept throwing around the term cancel culture. I was like, I don't even know what that necessarily means, but we live in a, in a cancel culture that if we can discredit someone, uh, whether the accusation is true or untrue, if we can get it in the minds of the court of public opinion, you know, that, that this is what's going on. That gets as much results as a real guilty verdict in a real courtroom with a real judge. And they're pushing Paul, even though Paul's not there, they're, they're pushing him into the courtroom with this Thessalonican church and they're, they're trying to strike the shepherd. They're trying to destroy his credibility because they believe if they can destroy his credibility, they can destroy his message. They can destroy the gospel. So, what does Paul do? Well, Paul, it's the second point, he testifies, right? He gives testimony, and he calls on the truth. He stands up for the truth in the middle of all of these accusations, and he starts reminding them of what is true, because Oftentimes, when when the accusations come, right, that's a part of what the Holy Spirit does. That's a part of what worship does. That's what the Word does. That's what community does. Is We have to remember the truth in the middle of the accusation, or that flame of joy is actually going to be smothered, right? And so he begins to testify, and he reminds them of how he was when he was with them, right, when he was amongst them. He says, he visited them, and that visit wasn't without results, He had suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, but with the help of God, we dared to tell you. So he's saying, with with great personal cost to me, I dared to tell you this gospel in the face of strong opposition. So I I cared enough about you to come and share this gospel message with you. Even in the middle of suffering and strong opposition, that's the heart that I have for you, right? Right? And he goes on, he says, the appeal, what I was telling you, it didn't spring from error, from impure motives, nor were we trying to trick you. On the contrary, as those who were approved by God and entrusted with the gospel, we were not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. We didn't use flattery. We didn't put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We weren't looking for praise from people, not from you or from anyone else. He even says we could have used our authority, but we didn't do it. Instead, we were like children among you, right? What is he saying there? He's saying my motivations, even though they're, they're challenging my motivations, let me speak to my motivations. I didn't do this from impure motives. I wasn't, I wasn't trying to trick you in this. I didn't use flattery. And what's flattery? Flattery is, is manipulation. That's why we flatter people, right? We flatter them because we're trying to get something from them. We're trying to manipulate them. We didn't do it from greed. I didn't, I didn't give you this good news so that I could get some money from you or something from you. I wasn't looking for praise from you. I wasn't looking for fame. I wasn't looking for influence. I wasn't doing this to please people, but I was doing this because I had been trusted by God to do this. I was trying to please him. And I believe something. That's what Paul's saying here. I believe that ultimately it's this. It's God who tests the heart right it 's God who tests the heart, and paul Paul gets this. You could go find this in other places. First Corinthians four is another place paul paul is is basically saying, this is not the only courtroom moment i 've been in right i 've been in this courtroom before, and I will be in this courtroom again in First Corinthians four he talks about it he says i don 't let you judge me in your human courts i 'm going to stay." out of your courtroom, your courtroom of public opinion. But then he goes on to say, uh, I don't even judge myself. Like I stay out of my own courtroom, right? My, My view of me is not ultimately what establishes my joy or my peace or my hope or my confidence. He says this, he says, my conscience is clear, but that doesn't even make me innocent. Even with a clear conscience, that doesn't necessarily mean I'm doing everything perfectly. Ultimately what? It's the Lord who judges me. Is what he says in 1 Corinthians 4. It's the Lord God who tests my heart. Paul is saying something really, really powerful. It's powerful for us today. He's saying to them that the court of public opinion isn't what motivated me in the first place. The court of public opinion is not what motivates me. And it's, it's a good thing for us to stop because let me just tell you, if your joy is waning, Randy said that we're talking about, about joy, right? And the heart of joy. If your joy is waning, one of the, one of the best ways, uh, at least in my life, that I've found that joy suffers, one of the, one of the ways that joy suffers is, is that I'm living in the court of public opinion. That what others think of me is, is what I think of me. Not what the Lord thinks of me. What other people think of, thinks of me is what I think of me, and that's why my joy suffers. And why Paul can even have joy and say what he's saying in this moment is he's saying, The court of public opinion is not what motivates me. It's not where I get my identity from. I'm not trying to please men. And so if that court is coming after me, because that court of public opinion is coming after him, right? He's saying, I'm not surprised. Because the court of public opinion hates people that don't recognize its power. When you stop living your life to please other people, it's going to make people angry. Because almost everybody's living their life to try to please everybody. So when you say, I don't live my life, my joy, my hope, my peace isn't rooted in that anymore. It's going to confuse people and it might invite them over into the gospel or it's going to make people throw bombs at you. Because you're threatening the very place that their identity comes from. He's saying the court of public opinion isn't what motivates me. What motivates me is something different. I am pleasing the one who has entrusted me with the gospel. He's entrusted it to me. He's he's given it to me. His grace to me. To steward his grace to me, to you. The gospel He's entrusted the gospel to me and my desire is this. My desire is that other people would know the grace and the peace and the hope and the joy that I know. What motivates me isn't the court of public opinion. What motivates me is is I've been entrusted with something and I have love for someone, you. If you really... If you really understand the gospel, if you get the gospel, or maybe a better way to say it is if the gospel has gotten into you, you know something, and that's this. And Paul knew this. You can't make the gospel message untrue by undermining the character of the messenger. You can't. The gospel doesn't become untrue because even the character of the messenger is flawed because guess what? The gospel is this. God came for bad character. That's who he came for. (laughs) He came for bad characters. He came for people with busted motivations. He came for people who, who, apart from the grace of God, could do nothing but set their own agendas ahead of everything else. God came to rescue those who were hopelessly lost in their self-centeredness. God came for bad characters. So go ahead, throw my character up on the witness stand. That doesn't make the gospel untrue. Because the gospel is this, what? We are more sinful than we can imagine. We are more sinful than we can imagine. Which is saying this, before the grace of God moved in my life, even all of my good works at least had a degree of the motivations that they're accusing Paul of. Everything was a giant you for me. I'm doing it for you for me, right? That's why those categories come so easy to the accusers because that's how they operate. They accused Paul of all those things because that's what they were doing. They did things for greed. They did things out of flattery. They did things to please men and that's what they were calling him on because it was what they did. The gospel says we are more sinful than we can imagine. You're... you're, Getting, believing that I have pure motivations for anything that I do? Are you crazy? Do you know your heart? Do you know the the God who knows your heart and loves your heart in spite of all of that? We are more sinful than we can imagine. And the other side of the gospel is this. We are more loved, a pastor said, than we dare hope. (laughs) We're more sinful than we can imagine. We're more loved than we can dare hope. And that love, when you get close to that love of Jesus, when you get close to him, that love has an effect. It affects how and why you love yourself. Uh, I don't love me because I got the verdict of the court of public opinion. I don't love me because of what you think of me anymore. It also affects how and why I love other people because I don't love you that way anymore, right? And that's what Paul is saying to them. He's reminding them, you're dear to me. You're precious to me. You're you're like, to me, like a mother treats her newborn nursing child. Which, if you know anything about Paul, I mean, Paul, who was this former Christian persecutor who was throwing and Uh, killing Christians and having them thrown in jail who was a male at the top of the heap. He was the Jew of Jews and the Hebrew of Hebrews. The fact that he appeals to this metaphor should kind of stop us and say, whoa. He's saying like a mother cares for her children. That's where my activity springs from. It It doesn't spring out of error or impure motive. It springs from there because Paul understands that everything we do springs from somewhere. And Paul's saying, my heart for you springs from the gospel for me. The fruit of a gospel transformed heart, it doesn't just change our behavior, right? But it changes the motivations and the reasons behind what we do. <laughs> Paul's saying it, the gospel has transformed my heart and so the why is different. Not just what I do is different, but the why is different. And the way that fleshes itself out is this. I care for you. Like a mother cares for her children. Now, is he just reaching for that metaphor? Is he just kind of like, oh, maybe it's like this, or maybe it's like this. Well, I actually believe he got that metaphor from Scripture, because that's how God describes himself multiple places in the Old Testament. He's saying, This is God's heart. And now Paul is saying, my heart has been captured by the grace of God. And so my heart is now in line with God's heart. And I am loving the way that he loves because I'm loved that way. Listen to what Hosea, I'll read from Hosea 11 and Isaiah 49. This is what Hosea 11 says. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. But the more they, they were called, the more they went away from me. They sacrificed to the bales, and they burned incense to the, image, or to the images, right? So they sinned, and they, they went to idols. But it was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms. But they did not realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. To them, I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek. I bent down to feed them. What does that sound like? Does that sound like a mother? Right? I taught you to walk. I took you by the arm. It was with cords and ties of love and like a little child I lifted to the cheek, I bent down to feed them. You hear what he's saying? He's saying this motherly love that Paul's talking about, that's reflecting the heart of the Lord. That's who the Lord is. Isaiah 49. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast, and have no compassion on the child that she has born, though she may forget, I will not forget you. <laughs> like a mother can't forget her child and have compassion on her child, though she may forget, I'm not going to forget you. Paul is testifying, he's saying, the court of public opinion, that's not, that's not what motivates me, it's the heart of God that motivates me. The heart of God for me and now the heart of God for you through me. I feel for you like a mother for her newborn because that's how the Lord feels for me and for us. So lastly, let's talk about for a second this mother's love, okay? Because I really do think it's it's a litmus test for us to kind of think through, it. am I really living in the gospel that I've received? Like, I've received that. Whether I'm living in it or not, I have that. Just like I have joy, or I have faith, or I have love, right? And I have hope. I have the gospel. If you're in Christ, there's no question about that. But I can have something and act like I don't have it. I can have it and not live in it, right? And I think it's a really good picture for us is, is, is wrestling with the question, am I loving with a mother's love, Right? Because the gospel, at the very end here, he says something. He says, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our very lives as well. Not only the gospel, which is, it is a message, right? It is the good news. But the gospel is also, it's, it's the word made flesh in Jesus. It's not just good news, it's action, right? And he's saying something here. He's saying something really profound in this succinct statement it's, I didn't just give you the gospel of God, but our very lives as well. I was talking with Ford, or I was actually talking with Emily, and Ford was doing something uh, in the room, and we were just talking about somebody who was about to have a baby. And um, I didn't even think Ford was listening to the conversation, which should show you. Uh, most kids are listening to everything we're saying, so be careful. Uh, but... I basically said something along the lines of like, yeah, they're, they're about to have a child and, um, man, they, they really, it's going to be kind of a wake up call. Like it's a lot, you know, having a baby's a lot and Ford, without looking up, he, he didn't even look up at me because I was looking over at him when he started to talk. He said, he said, yeah, no one's ever ready to have a baby. They're always hurting from what I've seen. No one's ever ready to have a baby. They're always hurting from what I've seen. <laughs> What's he saying? I mean, out of the mouths of babes, right? <laughs> I think he's saying what Paul's saying here, which is, is, is that it's not, it's not just something, the gospel isn't just some message that we give people. It's, it comes out of our lives, right? Like, is there any part of a mother's life that isn't completely upended by their children? Like, is there any part of a mother's life that isn't completely kind of undone on some levels by having kids? Like COVID certainly has been hard for all of us, but I will, I will go out on a limb here and say, uh, I believe it's definitely been hardest on the mothers. Like, Just being able, like when you're a mother, just being able to go to the bathroom uninterrupted feels like you've won a lottery ticket, right? Like just actually having five minutes alone without, you know, in in a vulnerable place like the bathroom and actually not having someone like kick in the door on you, right? Because kids take everything. They do. They require your whole life right? Not just your words, they require you. And when Paul is saying, I didn't just give you uh, the gospel of God, the words of the gospel, but I shared my whole life. And how I did that was as I shared my whole life like a mother does. He's saying this, it's out of, out of affection for you. Because you were, you were dear to me. I, I, You were so dear to me, I let you into my life in a way that was costly. Like having a kid, right? I made time for you, I made space for you in my life. I I suffered to be in relationship with you, right? I stretched my boundaries and you were worth that suffering. Why, because that's what love does, right? That's that's what the gospel is about. It's not just a message. It's that love came down and, and incarnated and sacrificed and suffered for us. Just like a mother. A mother suffers. A mother's love. A mother's love is treated outrageously by her kids, right? A mother's love faces strong opposition, It's not just words, but it's actions, it's time, it's tears, it's difficulty. And a mother welcomes that and is delighted to do so. Why? Because the love is there. You're my child, the care is there for us, it, it, should, it should cause us to stop and say, if we're not loving this way, then we're not living in the truth of who we are. We've, we've lost touch with our identity. We've lost touch with the joy and the love and the faith that we've been given in Jesus Christ because we can love that way because we have been loved that way. We are loved that way today. And we're set free because we've been loved with that motherly love like Paul. We can be those who love the same. That's the power of the gospel, y'all. That's the, that's the good news for us this morning. And if you warm yourself around it, your joy and your love will come awake, right? And you, will, you, you and I were set free from getting out of the court of public opinion, right? I, I'm set free from living my life, trying to please people and get love from people. And I'm set free now to love with this kind of love. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you uh, for your word. Um, Lord, it's it's really true that if you only loved us uh, if we were good characters um, then we should be depressed <laughs> uh, because we can never be good enough. Uh, not just in the court of public opinion but in the real court, the court of your righteous righteousness, your holiness, uh, we just fall short, and I thank you that your gospel um, comes in and speaks the, the powerful truth that I did not love you uh, because you did everything from the right motivations. I did not love you because uh, you carried out everything perfectly or got it right. I loved you because you're my kids. Uh, I've, I've set my affection on you, and there's nothing you can do to change that So Lord, I pray that as we draw into that motherly love that Paul's demonstrating for the Thessalonians, but you have for us, that motherly love, that we would be reminded of how dear we are to you, how much you love us, and that you would set us free like you set our brother Paul free from living uh, for the court of public opinions verdict. Would you set us free from it, Lord? Set us free from our lives being marked, running hard to keep everyone pleased, which is really just loving ourselves, Lord. Let us be those who are loved by you and set free from that courtroom in order uh, to go out into the world, into the free world uh, with the love that you've given us uh, because the world desperately needs to see it. So we love you. Uh, Thank you for loving uh, and caring for us as you so clearly do.